And so let me begin going back to how we got to Waterloo, okay? We started out in this community as what's called a satellite campus of, a, of another parent church organization. So a church whose uh, founding pastor, Pastor Rick Shelton, is still my senior pastor, my pastor, Katie and I, is to this day, who we get mentorship from and who we are accountable to and who, who helps to sort of father us in our spiritual walk. Um, that church is over in St. Louis. It's called Life Church STL. And so when we started here in Waterloo, we were what's called a satellite campus of that church. Now, if you're not familiar with that model of satellite locations, basically it's a parent church organization that establishes other locations, but it's all governed by one vision and led by one leadership team. Um, it's just a, a one church in multiple areas or multiple locations, if you, if you can conceptualize that. And so the, uh, in some of those churches... There is like a video campus that's pretty popular today where a message from the senior pastor at the main location is sort of piped into all of the satellite locations. And then the same message is, is obviously spoken over the congregation on a week-to-week basis. But you've got different communities of people that are obviously living in different areas that are a part of that satellite location. Still doing community together, still having relationship together and everything. The difference is just the way that the message is, is brought forward forth. Um, other campus models, satellite locations, are set up where there's actually a preaching pastor or a campus pastor that is over that location bringing and delivering the word of God and the message and teaching and preaching on a weekly basis. But every pa- campus pastor are all a part of one overall vision that uh, a senior pastor is leading. And, and that second uh, example that I just gave you is the example of how we were uh, how we started. I was the campus pastor here for the Waterloo location. So you fast forward after a while, and uh, over time, we were uh, seeing God do some really great things here in this satellite location in this campus. And there were decisions that were made through leadership, through myself, our leadership team here, and the leadership team back at the main location, that we had reached a point and that we were in a season where it was... Uh, a good thing for the kingdom of God and for the purpose that God had for us, for us to launch out and become an autonomous church, no longer a satellite location, which meant that we would begin to operate from our own vision and that we would begin to lead from a, from a, a, from a different place, okay? So that was a very exciting time, a little bit scary time, right? So when you hear me talk about stepping out and going into new places and new seasons and things like that, we've been through a bunch of those moments and those times in our lives, right? And so we launched out in March of 2016 officially as Life Church X now, our own church, kind of under our own vision and everything. And uh, although there was some uncertainties, of course, of what would happen, how things would go, some nervousness of, oh my gosh, you know, now we're kind of out here and we're, we're on our own at this point, uh, there was still way more excitement and enthusiasm and passion for the will of God because God was, we felt clearly in this thing from the beginning and in the middle of this thing, and it was all in his hands, right? And so when we talk about the vision of our church, I want you to understand that this is a vision that we feel God had given to us, that he had spoken to us, that he had essentially put in our spirit and laid out for how we 
would go forth and build the church that God was calling us to build. Now, every church has a mission to fulfill the kingdom work, the Great Commission. But how we walk that out and how we carry that out strategically, uh, things of that nature, are different, right? Paul said, I've become all things to all men so that I could win more. So clearly, there is a different way of going about things depending on what kind of community you're in, what kind of era of time you're in, all those different things. And so God began to give us a fresh vision for how we would go forth and how we would build a church that he was calling us to build. And so um, what was really on our heart heavily for how we saw the work of the Great Commission of raising up disciples who know Jesus Christ to become all that they're called to be in their lives, the way that we put this into context was just through a statement called raising up game changers. And you've heard that, I'm sure, if you've been here even more than a couple weeks, you've heard that. And so we talk about raising up game changers, and we talk about that in every generation of our church. They're hearing that stuff and, and learning about this stuff down in our kids' ministry, up here, obviously, in, in our uh, sanctuary time together, we talk about this, in our ministries, everything. So what does that mean? Well, raising up, obviously, is the idea of building and raising people up to become, first of all, to know that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior because once we understand that we are saved by grace and the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us and we're what the Bible refers to as born again, then we are infused, if you will, with that Holy Spirit of God and we are, we are beginning to uh, be able to walk out our God-given purpose and destiny here in this world. The scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11 is one that echoes a lot in this church. And it's, uh, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not evil to bring you a future and a hope. So when we are born again, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, we are not just walking through this world aimlessly. We're not just taking up space waiting to go to heaven one day, that we actually have a purpose and a destiny to fulfill while we're here on this earth. The Bible also says in the book of Jeremiah, the 33rd chapter in the third verse, it says, for I know the plans, or says, call to me and I will answer you and show you the great and mighty things which you do not know. Great and mighty things, the purpose, the plans, the destiny that I have for my children, which are huge and vast and, and far-reaching in this world, impacting to a world of people who need to hear the message, that we, it says, for I know the plans I are, uh, called me and I'll answer you and show you the great and mighty things you do not know, apart from the revelation of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, guys, it's impossible for us to know what the reason that we're here for and the reason for our existence is. It's in God and in Jesus that we find the, all the meanings of life for what we're meant to do here in this world and also what our eternal existence beyond this life involves, right? And so we are so passionate when we say raising up game changers that we want to help more and more people in this world know and understand that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and that they can have eternal life by being born again. But in the process of that, that we begin to raise them up strong through discipleship and preaching and teaching and training to know that God has a plan for your life, to do amazing things, to use you as a vessel to build 
his kingdom so that great things, kingdom things, can actually come to birth here in this world as God intends so that more people can be impacted for the gospel and for the kingdom. Each and every one of us have a part to play in that. There is no son or daughter of Christ who is void or absent from the overall mission of plan of God to reach a lost and dying world. And so we want people to get on fire for that. And when we say, so you understand raising them up and building up leaders is a huge part of that. But when we also say game changers, so that idea is that when people are on fire and living for God, walking in alignment with their purpose and in their destiny that God has for them, that they are literally impacting and changing the world in a powerful, furious way. Because the, the, the Holy Spirit and a movement of God is the most transformational thing that can possibly happen on the planet. So when God is moving in and through people in their lives and, and his power is at work in them and their purpose and destiny is being walked out, they're literally influencing and impacting and changing the landscape, the scenery, the atmosphere of the world around them and whatever environment they may be a part of in a, in a way that nothing else can possibly do. Y'all know that, right? The power of God working in and through us, changing the atmosphere and the climate of everything around us. And so we use that term game changer to describe somebody that's on fire, that knows God has a plan for them, and that they're striving to walk that plan and purpose and that destiny out under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And if you look at the definition of the word X factor. So this is a modern kind of relevant term that we've incorporated, hence the X on the end of Life Church X. The definition of X factor is a change agent in a given situation that changes the outcome or affects the outcome more than anything else. We know that that is what God is desiring to do in and through us in our lives and through his church in the world around us that we live in. That's why you hear me talk a lot about how the church is, our, is the answer. Like the church is the solution that we need to see rise up and get strong in our world to bring the kind of transformational change that we desperately desire to see. It's not going to happen strictly through the political landscape, strictly through the business climate. It's got to happen through the sons and daughters of Christ who carry the Holy Spirit in them, being raised up strong to fulfill their God-given purpose, and then taking that power and authority out into all the parts of the world that we all live in. Many of us in the business world, some of us in the political landscape, in the schools, in families, in our communities, that the power of God working in and through us as we become who God has created us to be more and more every day is tr literally transforming and changing the world around us. Everybody's heard the principle of the ripple effect, right? Water, throw a rock in the water, it ripples, and the ripples just keep on going all the way across the water. That's the idea, guys, is that the change and the impact that the Holy Spirit can bring through us, through our lives, to the world around us is something that will not only affect our generation, it will continue to affect the generations beyond us more than we can possibly imagine. Right? The movement that Christ started is still alive and strong and as powerful as ever on the world today. 2.6 billion people proclaim to be Christ followers on this planet. It started with a few. 
If that isn't the greatest movement in history, I don't know what is, right? So the life that we're living and that God is, is, is the work that he's doing in and through us is changing not only close proximities, our life, our family's life, our community's life. It's going to continue to affect the generations that we're raising up and our kids and our grandkids and everything to go on to affect this world even long after we're gone if Jesus, has, if Jesus hasn't returned already, right? And so we're passionate about that here. And um, in, in a lot of ways... You could look at the Gospels and you can look at, 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 at the Great Commission in the book of Mark, in the book of Matthew. You can see that, that when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, that, that, that's basically what it is that when we say we're raising up game changers, that's what it is that we are striving to do and what we are re- relying on God to help us to do. It's just the way that we're carrying out. Are you with me so far? All right. So when we said we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna plant this church and we, we've got a vision to raise people up and we're gonna, everything we do is going to be to that end. Like that's why we exist. And uh, so then we, we knew that we needed to establish some core values for our church, some core values for our organization. And, uh, you know, when you look at what core values do, they're kind of like guiding principles that you contend for that are essentially like non-negotiables that you would require every uh, person who's in leadership, who has influence in the organization, that they would embody those qualities and that they would adhere to those core values because you recognize that it's those core values being a part of the leadership in your organization that are consistent with you actually being able to walk out and achieve the very vision you're setting out to do. Did you know that we have no absent of people who have grand ideas and things in this world? That's been my experience. Tons of grandiose ideas, which is awesome. I think we all need to dream and have visions for things but you know where we lack desperately in our world and even in the church is we lack people with these vision who actually execute and are able to carry these things out in a way that brings that vision to pass and brings it into a reality and so we begin with vision but we actually have to have core values that we know we're going to adhere to so that when things do get tough when things do get difficult we don't deviate we don't veer off track and we can step back and say, look, what is most important here? And then that will help us to continue to make decisions and guide us forward in how we operate as we move along. And so as we looked at what are the, what are the values that we know our leaders have to have here, and these are values that we strive to cultivate through the entire church, but when it comes to being in leadership here and, and having influence in this church, these are absolutely non-negotiables. Like these have to be observable in people's lives. Paul says to Timothy, he says, as far as leaders in the church are concerned, let them show themselves tested and approved, right? So we have to recognize that there are godly qualities and characteristics in a person's life before we know that we can empower them to lead and shepherd, help shepherd the flock that God has entrusted us to. And so when we looked at our values and we were trying to figure out what are the main things, we settled on four principles that we feel are just the most important qualities that have to be there. If any of these four are lacking or are fractured, then it's going to compromise everything about the way we carry out our vision. Now, how many people have a cup of coffee here this morning? I know you can tell I've had a few, but 
few people. All right. If you've been in the coffee hospitality area, you may or may not have noticed all four of our values are back there on signs hanging on that back wall. Does anybody know what they are? If, how many people know what they are? Oh, see, this is a good reason we're having this talk today. Okay, this is great. All right. Um, so our vision, our values are passion, humility, integrity, and love. If you're an acronym kind of person, then you can just go with the word Phil or the name Phil, P-H-I-L, passion, humility, integrity, and love. Now, I just want to talk to you briefly about these and, and why these are so important for us because there's a number of qualities and things that you know, could make your list, but for us, a lot of things sort of fell under these four and kind of were included in them, and these were the ones that we said, look, this is, this is what our leadership team now we feel em- is embodying the most, and it's a key to why we're being called to go do what we're doing. And so the first one is passion. Look, we have to be passionate about the plan that God has for our lives, about his purpose for us. We have to be passionate about having a relationship that's ever increasing in intimacy and closeness and in power with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. One of the things that I'm very much against is dead, dry religion methodical routines that are religious, that are mindless, that people go through motions and have no idea why they're even doing that. There's nothing to be gained, no profit to be stimulated, in my opinion, in terms of how the Holy Spirit is working and desiring to have a close, intimate relationship with us and living that kind of religious lifestyle. In fact, Jesus went so far as to condemn everything about the Pharisees and the Sadducees that had anything to do with legalism or or ritual rituals or methods that they were doing that they found their glory in, that they found their, uh, their identity in that had nothing to do with an actual relationship with God. And so having that passion burning white hot and, and being on fire for God and his plan and purpose for our lives is something we have to get a hold of and we have to be on fire for. This is what's awesome though. As soon as you get one touch from the Holy Spirit, as soon as you receive the Holy Ghost in your life and you're, you're born again and you're baptizing the Spirit, as soon as that happens for you, it's literally world changing in, in, in everything and the way you see things and the way you do things. I mean, for me, I couldn't get enough of God. I just, I've never been able to get enough of Him. I always desire to have more and more of a close relationship with Him. For me, everything that I am called to do, whether it's be a husband, a father, a pastor, a leader, anything, it all flows out of that primary relationship first for me and who, who Jesus and the Holy Spirit are to me. And I'm passionate about that. And we have to be passionate about that because if we're not pursuing God in our relationship with him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, if we're not pursuing that with, our, with our, everything that we have, then it's impossible for what we're called to do to really be affected with that power and everything that we need so that it's walked out appropriately. In fact, the Bible goes as far as to say, love your Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and all your soul, and then love others as I have loved you. On these two commandments hang all the rest. 
Isn't that amazing, right? He's saying, look, set firsts in order here. Just You've got to get this right for everything else, the life of faith, obedience, resisting temptation to sinfulness, staying on track on your vision that God has for your life. All that flows out of having a close, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit first and foremost. And we want to stoke that flame and burn that fire white hot uh, or, or encourage people to do that because it's up to each and every one of us to pursue that on our own. We have to go after it. We have to pursue that. God doesn't just come and just, you know, make the fire burn white hot for us apart from nothing on our end pursuing that. The Bible says, seek and you will find, ask and you will receive, knock and it shall be open. Every one of those statements begins with an action tense verb on whose part? Our part. We seek, we knock, we ask. It's God and the Holy Spirit who respond to the pursuit that we are making that brings the, the response and the power into our lives that we're so desiring. It's interesting when you look back to the Old Testament that when, uh, when the, some of the commandments and things were being instituted, that in the tabernacle where God's presence would dwell, there was an altar where sacrifices were made and there was what was known as the perpetual flame, which was a flame and a fire that was always to be burning so that whenever the priests would go in to make the sacrifices, that that flame would always be ready to consume the sacrifice, all right? Now, listen to this. In the Old Testament, once that was instituted, once God established those things with the people of Israel, the very first flame that started the first fire in the tabernacle that the priests would continue to keep burning, the very first flame actually came down from heaven. It was a supernatural ignition that started the first fire. But beyond that, it was the responsibility of the priests to go in there and make sure that the fire never went out. They had to always keep the wood and the fuel and everything on there so that the fire would never go down to where it would go out completely. That was, that was one of the main responsibilities, constantly 24-7. Man, they did not stop thinking about the fact that that flame needed to keep burning. So think about that. First fire came from heaven. What happens when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we repent of our sins, when we confess him as our Lord and Savior, and we receive that free invitation of grace? The Holy Spirit comes like fire. The Bible says that he baptizes us in fire. It comes from heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. The first flame that is designed to be a perpetual flame is ignited and lit by a supernatural source, the Holy Spirit coming from on high in come inside and live in us. Then from that point on, we are responsible for keeping that flame burning white hot all the time, keeping fuel on the fire so that that flame doesn't grow dim, doesn't grow dormant inside of us, but continues to burn with a white hot fire inside. It's interesting that the priests were the one that went in and did the fire, it were responsible for the fire. Because when Jesus came and did his work on the cross, that basically changed the whole process of only priests being able to go in to the presence of God. It actually gave us the Holy Spirit. So now we can all walk in the presence and relationship with God, which is why in the New Testament, the Bible says that when we become sons and daughters of Christ, that we become a part of a holy priesthood. 
Am I, am I is you getting this? So we are now considered like priests in the, sun, in the eyes of God in the sense that we now are responsible for stoking the flame that's been supernaturally lit on the inside of us and we are all able to have relationship and walk in the presence and power of God, not just certain elite or certain sectioned off people in our world. I think that's better than you think that is. But okay, so I think that stuff's amazing. That's all on passion, right? And then we start talking about humility. And, and humility is so important because, man, there's very few things that cause me to have caution or reason for pause in my dealings with someone more than when I detect an arrogant or prideful spirit. It's not that I, those people need to be reached and I want to influence them, but as far as my dealings with people, when I detect an arrogant or prideful spirit about someone, I am very cautious in the way that I proceed. Here's why. The Bible is very clear that pride comes before a fall. An arrogant spirit is only a matter of moments away from slipping and falling into a pit. And so I know that when someone is bound up and operating and moving with some kind of arrogant, prideful spirit that has a hold of them, that if I am not careful and I walk with them closely, that what they fall into could potentially affect me. My objective is to help them, is to reach them, but I understand that pridefulness and arrogance cannot be a part of the leadership team here. It cannot be a part of what we cultivate in this church. In fact, it's the opposite quality, arrogance, of what the Bible refers to we need in order to be uh, lifted up into the purpose and plan that God has for our lives, which is humility. It says, those who exalt themselves shall be humbled, right? So in living pridefully, it only sets us up to be kind of brought back down into a place of humility. If we won't humble ourselves, then circumstances and consequences of walking pridefully will humble us eventually anyway. But if we will walk in humility and we will understand that it's only by God's grace that we are who we are and we can do what we do, then the Bible says, I will exalt those who humble themselves. So God will continue to lift us, elevate us into more and more of a place of influence and impact in the world around us. Not for us so we can get the glory, but so that he can get the glory and the kingdom of God can be expanded and built in and through our lives. Are you with me? So humility. Next is integrity. Integrity is critical. It's being 100% honest 100% of the time. I learned a long time ago that there's no such thing as 98% honesty. Did you know that? But sometimes people think that, well, you know, I can, sometimes you just have to do things in order to achieve the outcome that you're looking for. Now, I realize that that can be a uh, delightful temptation at times. I've been in the business world. I understand that. But I'm just telling you that if you compromise on your integrity and you being honest, one, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's your taxes. I don't care if it's one little sales conversation, anything. If you compromise your honesty and integrity knowingly, that is a dangerous place for you to be. And that is against the will of God in the way that he has called us to live. We have to walk in integrity 100% of the time. And many times it looks like being dishonest or slightly untruthful will actually produce a better outcome than being honest or truthful. But the reality 
reality is we can't see in the natural, we have to see in the spiritual, and we have to have faith and step back and know if I am honest, even though the outcome in the natural looks bad, the outcome will actually be more profitable and better because this is God's word, and I trust his word, and I trust his promises for those who follow his word. Are you with me? 100% of the time. So much so that I love it the way Job says it. He says, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. I think we could just sum it up in that statement right there, right? I love it. We have to be honest 100% of the time. So passion, humility, integrity. And then the last of the four, certainly not least, is love. Love. Look, everything that we do is motivated and driven by love. Jesus loved us first so that we could love the world around us the way that he has loved us. You see, to make the impact in this world and fulfill the destiny outwardly that we're called to requires God's love working out of us and and the compassion that we have for people that drives us to do things that are not self-centered thinking or self-based thinking or self-preservation mindset. We think about others outside of us first in the way that we live and operate. That's love flowing out. It compels everything. But we can't live that way and walk that way if we don't first receive the love in God's love coming into us and loving us receiving his love through that personal walk and that relationship and that intimacy with him each and every day that is giving us everything we need to be able to be exactly who he's created us to be in him are all things right that's why it says everything is from him through him and to him Romans eleven thirty six 36, because the love of God flows out of heaven, it flows into our lives, it keeps us full and filled all the time, and it's through the overflow of that love coming out of us that we're literally walking out day to day our destiny and our impact because we're mindful and conscious, not just of our own needs, but of a world around us that needs the love of God as much as we need the love of God, otherwise the outcome is people really are going to go to heaven or really are going to go to hell one day. It's really going to happen. And if we believe that and we know that and we've already received the love of God and we know that that seals us, the Bible says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, we get to go spend eternity in heaven with God one day, how could we not be driven and motivated to help share with the world around us that exact same destiny and outcome? Because see, your purpose and destiny that God has for you, it's only partially what this world, what the walk in this world, the days we live on this earth are. Really, the fullness of your destiny isn't even realized until we go to be with Jesus in heaven for eternity and we're in paradise in the perfect place where there is no sin, there is no pain, there is nothing but joy and love and God's presence all the time for us. That's the fulfillment of our purpose and destiny. This is really just the beginning. It's the setup, it's the pre-stage for the perfect that's still yet to come. Are you with me? We're gonna end on that note today. So that's our vision and those are our values And so we're going to continue to move forward in the weeks ahead talking about um, what God has for us in this next year. I I really feel like there's some things that God is speaking and saying, you know, we're going to really focus on building in these areas and really growing people strong in these areas of our lives in order to continue to move forward as a church, but also individually, each and every one of us. Because guys, we're all a part of a family here. And anything that affects one member of a family, guess what? It affects everybody. 
We're all called to build and grow together. And so while we all have individual lives and purposes and destinies, according to the word of God, we are all knitted together in the overall kingdom vision of how God is carrying these things out. And so when we say we're gonna build and grow together, I get excited because I know that that means not only is God gonna do a work in and through this church, that's really just the beginning, quite honestly. That's just the smaller part. The bigger, more multiplicative part of that is that God is gonna continue to do a big, powerful work and grow us and so that there's gonna be impact outside this church in the world where all the people who are part of this body are living every day and impacting that world around them, whether it be in the business world or in the political landscape or families, families will be transformed, communities can be transformed, all because the church, us, members of a body, are growing and becoming who God has called us to be and then that is the answer and the solution for the rest of what the world around us needs and lacks. It's not, the solutions are not gonna be found in laws, in government. It's not in those things that solutions are brought. It's the people who are in those places who are empowered by the Holy Spirit that will actually bring the change in those environments and then thus the overall climate in our world that we desire to see. I just really believe that it all starts and begins with the church and with our relationship with God and that everything continues to flow out of that for us. Are you with me? Kind of?